Most media and technology companies have now reported Q1 2023 results. We dig into who's up, who's down, and who's a pick'em, and where they might be headed. Listen on to learn more. Welcome to this week's edition of Inside the Stream. This is Will Richmond from Video News, and that was Colin Dixon at the top there. Hey, Colin, how is everything going? It's good, Will. Uh, we uh, we've got a lot to get through this this week because we've we've been noticing some trends. We think in the industry that we want to talk about a little bit. Some emerging trends. I think it's probably fair to say, right? Yeah, well, first of all, I have to remark that last week you opened by saying that the Celtics were struggling after they had just demolished the Sixers the night before by 30 points. And then here we are recording on Thursday night when the Celtics are hanging by a thread. And we'll know by the time this comes out tomorrow whether that thread was uh, (laughs) snipped or whether it got reinforced. But... um, we're sweating. We're all sweating it out just a little bit up here in Boston on Thursday, right oh, now. Oh, you are, you are. Well, up and down, um, up and down. I could, I could, I could talk about the Premier League all day, uh, <laughs> but I don't think that would probably interest our audience very much. So. <laughs> but, uh, but anyway, we're going to do some what we think are some of the winners and some of the losers that the the changes in the in the video market are in the news and then we've got a couple that we think we're sort of on the fence about we can't decide we'd like you to decide if you think that they're winners and losers yeah yeah we want to just i think we also just want to offer the caveat column we're we're going to be looking at reviewing mentioning a lot of q1 23 results on this call and we want to be you know we want to be careful to not extrapolate too much from a single quarter and say oh this company had this quarter, they're a loser, whatever, blah, blah, blah. That's not what we're really all about today. What we're just trying to share with our listeners is some of the new numbers that came out and how we sort of see those numbers fitting in within, call it the larger structural changes that are happening throughout the video and TV industries. So we want to offer that asterisk, that caveat up front that nobody should get you know, take anything that we're saying too far to the ra- out to the you know to the races uh, today. Yeah, we right? certainly we certainly wouldn't be crazy enough to count some of the companies out we're putting in the no, uh, losers no, camp. No, At least, uh, no. please uh, take that caveat uh, as we as we chat about the results that we're going to talk. Yeah, so you go about. ahead and get us started with a couple of companies that look like they had strong quarters and look like they're in pretty good shape going forward. Yeah, well, there was a lot of negative press about Netflix last year, uh, but they certainly seem to be doing okay this year, at least so far. Uh, The quarter results were pretty good for the company. They increased subscribers about 5% year over year to 232.5 million. And the US and Canada was, well, that's down slightly over the year. To down about 0.2% to 74.4 million. But all the rest of the regions are doing pretty good and revenue has done great. They're 4% up over uh, 2022 Q1 to 8.1 billion. So 
that I think it's fair to say that Netflix is doing okay. Thank you very much. I, I think more than okay is a good definition because we just talked about them in our podcast a couple of weeks ago, and we both really like what they're doing with ad supported, and we both really like. Uh, not as consumers, but as industry analysts, what they're doing with uh, eliminating account sharing. So they're, they seem particularly well positioned going forward here, right? They, they do. And I think we talked about on the podcast that, that, or maybe we didn't talk about, but there was a lot of fuss made about the impact of those sharing curbs in Spain. My net net on that was, yeah, this is what you should expect based on what they've been saying uh, the number of people sharing is. So, yeah, I think they're in pretty, they seem to be in pretty good shape, Will. So there's there's Netflix. The other company that we, both Will and I, continue to be uh, very impressed with the way Roku is managed. And it's not to say that they're not having some trouble in the first quarter. They are, their, their revenue was down. Um, but overall, they're doing pretty good. So, for example, active users over the last year have increased 17%. Now, that's pretty impressive growth. Their average revenue is down. Um, ARPU was down 5%, and uh, it was actually down a dollar on the quarter, and it's down 5% versus Q1 2022. Uh, that they attribute pretty heavily to the pullback in avati- in the advertising market. Um, uh, so there's that. But I tell you, it hasn't um, it hasn't hurt. I think uh, other parts of their business platform revenue actually has held up pretty well. It even though the, they've seen this big pullback, they say platform revenue is only down slightly over Q1 2022, which is really a testament. I think, to the way they've been able to continue to grow active users. And here, Will, i got to say, their strategy of working with other TV makers with the Roku OS has allowed them to continue to grow users and really compensate for the decrease in the number of, in the, in the advertising market. Um, they've been able to compensate by just growing users and, grow, you know, growing active active Roku users. So this is another company that seems to be doing pretty darn well, right? Yeah, I was just going to say that, um, I mean, anybody who's in or related to the ad-supported business, the advertising business these days, I think knows that any Q1 results reported or even last year or even probably for another quarter or so, any results that are flat or slightly down are the new up from my standpoint yeah. <laughs> because you know to hold your business flat ish in this environment is a monster accomplishment and i think that's basically what you just said about roku holding about flat on revenue and profitability in the platform business never mind the device business that's a whole nother story but yeah i think that speaks to roku um i just i think in that same category colin is youtube we talked about them a couple of weeks ago also. Uh, ad revenue down 2.5% in Q1. Again, d- down slightly is up in this environment from my standpoint. Uh, but then you move into some of the, a couple of really clear winners coming out of the quarter, c- companies that are really well positioned going forward. 
uh, particularly Amazon, their ad business up 21% in Q1 to $9.5 billion. Um, talked about them last week on the podcast. Very impressed with their new front presentation. Very impressed with their entire media portfolio. Uh, this week, some news that they're actually going to be offering up their originals to other streaming providers. I'm not sure that I quite understand the logic there. It seems to me that there should be no other third party out there that believes that they can achieve better economics on Amazon's originals than Amazon can itself. Uh, but you never know. I mean, arguably, nobody should even be able to monetize those originals as well as Amazon can, given that Amazon has all that user data that it's sitting on that it can use to help monetize those originals. But hey, they're going to put it out there and we'll see if there's anybody super eager to maybe make some slightly uneconomic decisions. So Amazon, clear winner. Other clear winner, the trade desk. Boy, that uh, earnings flash came across my desk yesterday afternoon. Revenues also up 21% in Q1, 383 million versus 315 million a year ago. To be up 21% in this environment is nothing short of monumental. And I think speaks again as I think I've said in prior podcasts going back a while now, uh, speaks again to the strength that Trade Desk has established itself in the industry. So those are that's a kind of a quick recap of what we're seeing in the quarter and sort of how we see things going forward. Um, we're going to do a category of Pick'em that just is kind of on the fence stuff. But before we do that, let's cut over to a few companies that are uh, not doing all that hot right now. Well, before we get there, I just want to make a, say a couple of things about Amazon. Um, so I do understand why they're considering licensing the originals. I think that was also something that came up in Disney's call yesterday, Will, that there's a general recognition that letting things sit idle in big libraries is not an optimal use of those properties. Uh, so, you know, licensing them to other other providers, I think, is a good way of realizing additional revenue from that stuff without damaging uh, the ability to engage your current users and attract new users. I don't think it damages that at all if you're if you're going with older material. However, your your comments about what they're going to do, who exactly is going to license that, particularly in the U.S. market, is a good one. I do think that there's a better opportunity in international markets, and that's because Prime is much less penetrated there. So, you know, pretty much anybody in the U.S. who wants to watch The Marvelous Miss Maisel can watch it because somebody in their family's got Prime and they, they can use Prime Video, right? But that's definitely not the case in a lot of places in Europe and Asia. Uh, so there, there might be a better opportunity for them to license the stuff out. So, you know, uh, that, that I think is possibly where they're going to focus their attention, not in the U.S. market. I mean, frankly, I just can't see a, a cable. Why would, why would a cable company, a cable channel here license that content when anybody can watch it on, on Amazon? Uh, so, you know, I just don't see that there's a realistic market here for that. But international, maybe so. Yeah, I think that's a very fair distinction, Colin. And I, I generalize just a little bit too there, a little bit too much maybe there in my comments. I think that's very valid that Prime is, Amazon Prime is in a completely different situation country by country and that there may indeed be Windows pockets of opportunity. Anyway, let's move along. Companies that, uh, well, 
maybe not doing that great coming out of the quarter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, uh, I, there, there, were, there were a few of those, Will, that's for sure. But uh, to talk about just a couple, first one that caught my eye was Dish. Uh, so Dish, its satellite, its satellite business has been losing subscribers now for oh, a solid five years or more. And uh, this quarter was no different from any others. Satellite decreased by 550,000 subscribers in the quarter, which is a pretty damn big loss. So uh, that that's pretty disastrous, particularly when compared to a decrease of 462,000 subs in the year ago quarter. So that's a big acceleration there. But it's a double whammy for them because... Sling TV, which is their virtual MVPD, it was the original virtual MVPD. Unfortunately, it also lost subscribers down 234,000 subs, um, which is actually identical to the loss that it made in the same quarter the prior year. So I don't know, maybe that means this is a temporary thing and that it will make those back. Uh, I don't know, but uh, one thing that is doing pretty well for Dish and for Sling is their free stream service. They have been adding a whole bunch of free channels to their free stream service, and that is doing pretty well. They say that that's getting, that's acquiring users, although they weren't very specific about exactly how many people are coming. So that's something that's at least a little bit positive for them, their fast service. The other other company that I wanted to point to was Tegna, uh, old, of course, a, a traditional TV broadcast group. And they had a really tough quarter too. Ad revenue declines 13% from uh, the the previous quarter which is pretty uh, pretty bad results of course we do know that there's a a big pullback um, now they pointed to the fact that that 13 percent decline uh, was compared so i think um, that 13 percent was actually year over year and they say that that was compared to a quarter in which they had the winter olympics before and the super bowl both of which um, were carried by NBC last year. But unfortunately, the article that I said compared their revenue to 2021 and it was still off 5%. So it wasn't just because of the loss of those big sports. It was, uh, this is this looks to be more like a systematic decline. And I gotta say, it doesn't surprise me at all. I saw it in the Disney numbers as well. Disney networks were down 7% year over year. And this of course is directly a result, I think of primarily the decline in the traditional pay television market, which continues to lose subscribers hand over fist. But I think you have more on that for us, right? Well, uh, certainly, <laughs> I think the biggest loser of the quarter, unless I'm completely missing something, is Diamond Sports oh, Group. Oh, my goodness, uh, yeah. Because any day you're declaring bankruptcy is not a good day. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> give, give or take. Uh, and I don't mean to make that comment lightly because a lot of people's lives are affected by this. But, you know, Diamond's a little, Diamond's a little bit of its own situation because it got loaded up with way, way too much debt at the wrong, wrong time. And it got hit by all the whammies of COVID, cord cutting, sports, blah, 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 blah. But uh, Diamond filed in mid-July 
and remains to be seen exactly how that situation is going to sort itself. One tidbit on that this week, interestingly, is that you know now there are these teams that are essentially stranded uh, with their games tied to Diamond's networks, and they're now scrabbling around trying to figure out, well, what do they do next? And uh, the Suns tried to do a deal with the local broadcaster there, uh, and the judge intervened and said, not so fast, because apparently there's a provision in the contract um, that the Suns have with uh, Diamond saying that they're not allowed to just go basically do another deal. There has to be some appraisal process or some other mechanics that the judge felt the Suns had run afoul of. So um, I don't know if the judge sees more economic value in Diamond than lots of other people do, but in any event, the judge said not so fast. So Diamond Sports clearly, yeah, clearly I think had the toughest quarter of anybody out there in the TV and media landscape. Um, Having said that, this week we also saw Paramount announcing that in their media networks business, they're going to cut 25% of their headcount. That follows on major cuts at companies like AMC, uh, Warner Brothers, Discovery. The list goes on and on. There's, there's no company immune. And I think what we're seeing across all these companies uh, is really essentially a right-sizing. And I, I don't particularly like that term because I think it feels very euphemistic. But in reality, it's in some ways an accurate term. These companies are recalibrating how many people they really truly need to have given the size of their current businesses and the likely trajectory of those businesses going forward. And they're, again, recalibrating how much expense they can bear and how many people are actually needed to service the business as it's going to be. And Paramount was just the latest at a 25% cut, but it's it's everywhere right now. Yeah, isn't that true? And of course, we heard about that in the Disney earnings calls yesterday. There been big layoffs there, and they're continuing to lay people off uh, this year. So... Uh, there doesn't seem to be any let up in this quote right sizing and it all as you say it all seems to be a real drive to try and get to profitability particularly in Disney's case get to profitability with their DDC services and uh, they're they're cutting everything where they can I know one of the things that Disney did that was kind of kind of directly aimed at this is they they've been cutting the amount of content that they're creating as well so yeah, tough all around, I'm afraid, there. Complete retrenchment, complete and utter retrenchment going on right now throughout the media business and advertising-supported businesses. Con, let's move on to our last category with just uh, maybe five minutes or so left in our podcast. Companies that are what we're calling kind of in a pick situation, things that are still going pretty well, good reason to be optimistic, but definitely some chop out there as well. Indeed, and there were two companies I wanted to pick on. One we sort of already mentioned is Disney. Disney, in in one respect, they had a pretty good quarter, but in another, not, not so good at all. So if we take a quick look at the numbers that they actually, that they actually uh, provided yesterday, overall, Disney Plus Global is up 15% 
uh, between Q2 2022 and 2023 in terms of subscribers. It's up to 178, 179 million. But the truth is that they actually lost subscribers for the first time in the US market in Q1. It was a very small loss, I think uh, under a percent, um, but it was, it was nonetheless the first time it had ever lost subscribers. One of the things that they pointed out there was the small increase in the the increase in price that they had put through on Disney Plus, particularly in the US market. Um, but in, interestingly, Bob Iger had he sort of said that that was only a small decrease, and he seems to think that there's more softness there. He seems to think that he can raise prices on Disney Plus. Uh, further and so they are going to do that in fact later this year if you're watching ad free you are going to see a price increase and my suspicion is that that price increase is going to be a couple of bucks so you'll be paying a couple of bucks more to continue to watch ad free they want to encourage more people onto their ad tier uh, because they think that the ad market is going to recover and they're very confident that they will be able to make all of that and some uh, if you are watching ads. So that's sort of a, a, a good news, bad news there for all of us. The other thing, uh, the other company that I wanted to mention was Vizio. Now, Vizio is a pretty interesting company. I've been very, very impressed with the way Vizio has been running its, running its, its, its business. It's one of these companies that's managed to really pivot to be much more focused on the services business, it's platform plus business, which actually continues to do pretty, pretty well. It has done well with the platform business. Their uh, year over year revenue is up 20, 22% on, on that business, which is pretty good. And ARPU also, you said anybody that was able to do well in this market will is doing really well. Well, they did really well. They were up. They were able to increase ARPU by a, a dollar. Remember, we we mentioned Roku. Roku actually was down a dollar. Vizio is up. So that's all to the good. So that really shows that their platform business is pretty healthy. Unfortunately, and the reason they're not in the winners category is because unlike Roku. Vizio is completely tied to the sale of its own televisions. And on that side, things are pretty darn bad. Revenue on their device business is down 40% year over year, 42% quarter over quarter. And they're also doing not a very good job um, in, this, in this last quarter. Usually they're able to translate a lot of the people that buy TVs into users of their smart cast system but not so much this quarter by my reckoning while i was looking at the number of tvs shipped versus the number of smart cast activations and usually that ratio is about 40 percent this quarter it was only 11. so something weird's going on there uh, which made me want to put them in the you decide category rather than in, in the winner category. So with them, good news is the platform business is doing well. Bad news is the hardware business is doing really poorly. I think it's a fair point, Colin. The, um, I mean, we all know a key secret to Roku's success was 
was and is licensing that OS to all kinds of different players, and nobody has been able to replicate that success. No. We have a few contenders in the market. Uh, we talked about Google, Android recently, um, TiVo is trying to dabble, Amazon is dabbling. Nobody has achieved anything like what Roku has achieved in licensing the OS to third-party OEMs, and that drives helps drive their installed base of active users yep. which in turn obviously drives the ad business which in turn creates the flywheel and uh, that is a key key success differentiator of success for Roku over the years that they maintain to date uh, the other thing I think relative to Vizio and we had this discussion our listeners might recall when we had Alan Woke on the podcast probably at least a year ago, maybe longer than that, Colin, is what role the dongles and sticks play in these device businesses. And I mean, to this day, I still don't really know what percentage of, you know, just call it units sold, of all device units sold by Roku are actually sticks and dongles. Um, but I continue to maintain that there's a runway for those devices. I don't know whether it's 10% of units, 20% of units. I mean, they're obviously much less expensive than a whole big TV is. And I think that in turn makes them attractive to a lot of viewers out there who have TVs that are maybe casually used in second or third bedrooms, kids' bedrooms, etc., where they have a TV that isn't a smart TV, or for that matter, they may have a smart TV, but they don't like that smart TV's yeah. UI. And yeah. they like their Roku uh, UI that they have on their main TV in their family room, or they want to make that TV have the same ancillary services that the main TV has, whether it's home monitoring or all kinds of other you know services, uh, things that Roku now offers. So, and, uh, and overlaying on top of all that is, of course, the economic considerations. When in a lousy economy, people are tightening their belts, they're less inclined to go out and drop $300 or more on a new smart TV that's going to be lightly used than just to buy a $50 stick and put it on that TV and bring it up to par. All of that says to me there is still runway for these sticks and dongles and every stick and dongle that is attached that gets any usage is another active household another active account uh screen rather for roku and for yeah. amazon for that matter and for I google think that's, for that matter. you know will will that is an absolutely key point look i, I can understand why Vizio mightn't want to enter the tvos market licensing tvos samsung and lg have done it They've entered the, the market with their OSs, and I don't think they're doing very well. So I'm not sure there's room for another another player. However, the idea of doing a dongle just seems to me like it just seems to make so much sense because uh, even if you maintain a television with the latest updates, we all know what happens with software over time. It gets heavier, requires more memory, and runs slower. So the, in the best will in the world, it's going to run, your newer operating systems are going to run worst on your older devices. Give people a dongle, and th there are two real big pluses for that. One is you get to keep them as a customer. They've gotten used to, in Vizio's case, they've gotten used to the, to the SmartCast operating system. They're, so they're happy there. 
but the other thing is when you buy a dongle, it's like guaranteed you're going to activate it. It's not like a smart TV where they may or may not activate. Here, they are pretty much going to, they bought it to stream. So they're going to activate it. So, you know, there's just a lot of benefits to doing doing it. And uh, I've asked several times, are you going to do this? And I see absolutely no interest from Vizio to do this. It's They actually have a really great speaker bar market. They sell a lot of those things. And it just seemed, why don't you put it in there? They could put that's functionality in there and it wouldn't cost them that much to do and they'd have a way of reinvigorating those tvs but uh, but anyway well two um, quick just two super quick thoughts on those yeah. uh, what you just said colin the first is in terms of the dongle activation rate agree dongle activation rate is high uh there was at one time a narrative in the industry that smart tv ac- uh, um, activations were not that impressive. I don't know those numbers off the top of my head, but I would cast uh, or assert that when people buy a smart TV today, a very high percentage of them are going to be using yeah, them for streaming. I think that's, that's I, absolutely I, you true. Know, I don't. I think that narrative. I think that's an old narrative at this point. So I don't know if dongle activation rates are any higher than smart TV, but be that as it may, to your point about Samsung, LG, Vizio not having a dongle or a uh, you know a puck at this point if they haven't launched one yet i don't think we're ever ever going to see one because that is not a market that anybody's going to enter at this point which essentially means that roku amazon and i don't know google to some lower extent with chromecast are going to own as long as there's runway left in the stick and dongle market, they're going to own that business. And I think that is, I think those are very smart strategic decisions on their part to have created those dongles and sticks in the first place. And no pun intended to stick with them over time, not to cut them loose. Very smart decision on their part. So let me be a little bit more specific about what I meant there, Will. In this particular case for Vizio, I see them really as an aid to them continuing to retain a SmartCast customer. I don't know if there is much of an opportunity for them to sell them outside of that user base. The thing is, I think you're right with TVs. Um, I've seen data that shows pretty much most uh, smart TVs now are activated when they get home. The problem is that they may get activated, but people may not end up continuing to use them. They were probably using, they may have been using a dongle before. They get the new TV, they try out SmartCast, it's a bit unfamiliar, so they go back to using their Roku or something like that. That, But when they buy, if they buy a dongle, if they come back to you and they say, I like SmartCast, my TV's gotten slow, give me something that speeds things up, they're going to use it. They're going to, this is, they bought that for that purpose and they're going to activate it. So I just think that's how I see the dynamic there for Vizio, I'm not sure that there is a huge market, although, you know, they are doing they are doing a pretty good job at selling their soundbars outside of their footprint of Vizio users. So there might be an opportunity there for them to sort of expand SmartCast into that into that area. But anyway, uh, that's probably we've probably said about enough uh, about Vizio here. So that's why it's sort of a good news, bad news for Vizio. Good news. They continue to do really well with their platform plus business. And that pivot is working really well. Bad news is the hardware is looking pretty bleak 
at yeah. least in this quarter. Yeah, well, we'll I'm going to just quickly recap my, my two pick'ems. Uh, one funny anecdote. Um, I was at a concert last Friday night and I met somebody sitting next to me and we got to chatting. I told them what I did and they mentioned, and I'm not going to say the brand name here, but it's one of the brand names that you've mentioned in the last few minutes. Uh, we just brought a brand new brand name, insert brand name here, uh, uh, Smart TV Home. And, you know, we actually don't like the interface as much as we like the interface on our Roku uh, from the other room, the main room in our house. So we're thinking about just going out and buying one of those cheap little devices so that we can use the Roku interface on our brand new fill in the brand name of the TV, <laughs> smart TV. And of course, you know, I could barely keep a straight face because all I was thinking about is the laughs that you and I would have just recounting the story. But that's real. I mean, it seems yeah. it seems on the surface utterly ridiculous that people would buy a new fill in the brand name smart TV and then very quickly realize they just don't like the UI as much as they do their Roku, their Fire TV, whatever. And so they attach a stick and that's that's the real world. That actually happens. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yes, it sure does. And it just goes to show when people buy a TV, the TV they're going to buy is the best picture that they can get the right size that they can get the price that they want and then maybe they'll consider yeah the the smart interface yeah. it's still the fourth or fifth decision point when they're buying that tv yeah. and that's where the dongles come in because yeah. people do like people like the the roku interface i actually have really the smart cast interface is pretty good and they're continuing to enhance it to make it even better for users. So I really like it. I also actually really like the Google TV interface. I think it works very well as well. Uh, people are gonna get used to that interface and they're gonna wanna continue to use it and they are not going to want to be forced to buy a particular TV at maybe a higher price point or with a worse picture just to continue to use that interface. So that's the life right there of the dongle. It isn't going away, even though Vizio has said it, said it is a couple of times uh, in the last, uh, last six months. Well, I was Not going add, away, yeah, still has a market. I was gonna add to your thought, Colin, that the other thing that happens when people bring home fill in the brand name is they re they're reminded that the remote control has 57 buttons on it. Oh of which only three of them matter at all to them on off volume up down and channel up down yep. and are once again reminded of why does life have to be as complicated as this okay go get a stick honey plug it in let's get back to, let's get let's back get to enjoyment <laughs> let's get back to finding and watching the shows that we want without having a whole bunch of friction along the way anyway yep. this has been a far too big a lead up to getting to my two quick pickums, so i don't want to uh, have expectations run too high, but quickly, I think AMC is a pick 'em. Um, flat quarter, slightly up, slightly down, top line, bottom line. Uh, structurally, hard to see them sticking around too long as a minnow here in a dom in a world dominated by whales. Uh, but they have a valuable content library. There's economic value there. Don't ask me what the price is because that's not what I do for a living. But um, call them a pick them for now. They're not off a cliff, at least not at this point. And that's, of course, also a business that was right-sized by 20% plus over the past quarter. 
and finally, last but not least, of course, is Comcast, the ultimate pick'em, because they have so many different things in their business that are going in so many different directions right now that it's hard to even come up with a net net on Comcast. Here's a quarter where they had terrible video subscriber losses down for 20k on the residential side, which was worse than the 350k lost a year ago in Q1 22. Nonetheless, highest operating margin on the video business to date. So every video sub they're hanging on to is that much more profitable to them. They've gotten out of the business of making deals with subscribers who call in weaseling around for a better price. They're out of that business. Um, the broadband business not growing the way it used to, but still enormously profitable and enables essentially everything in Comcast's portfolio. Now, Peacock, uh, you know, five, six billion dollars of losses over a couple of years. Where exactly that business is going to go ultimately is a total pick'em. But Comcast seems committed. They're growing subs again. They're growing paid subs. So can't ignore them. Sky is another question entirely. Never made any sense to me. Still doesn't make any sense to me. Not sure what its long-term future is. But Comcast is a pick company. They're, they produce a ton of cash. Uh, they have entrenched positions in important places. Um, they have a ton of people innovating there. And it's, um, you know, it remains to be seen what happens. Yeah, yeah, it sure does. Um, yeah, as you say, Comcast is a bit of a, a jump ball. I will just say on Peacock, I know, I know you're not that impressed with Peacock, but uh, it's doing pretty well in the market. Well, I just saw data this morning that shows, um, who does this, this comes from T-Vision, that uh, 26, it's got a household reach of about 26%, which is actually higher than Disney Plus, according to this data, and HBO Max which are both at 25% and higher than the, the free service, the Roku channel, which is 24%. So, yeah, but as you say, making just enormous losses at the moment. Um, so we have to see if they can they can reduce those losses. I know Disney's, Disney did a little better with their losses this quarter. They were a bit, a bit ahead of reducing those losses. And I guess when they increase prices, that will, that will help there as well. Uh, but anyway, I think we probably just about run out of time to, for today's podcast. And probably run out of our listeners' attention as well. So uh, <laughs> let's call it at that. Colin, great chatting as always. Thanks, everybody, for listening in. And we'll catch you all again next week. Inside the Stream is a production of In Screen Media and Video News. All rights reserved.